This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center, and he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Morning. Welcome to our first full show in 2017. If you're new to this program, welcome aboard. This really is a unique look every week at Rays Baseball. Among the guests you'll hear from today, outfielder Kevin Kiermeyer and principal owner Stuart Sternberg. Plus, we'll chat with a couple of first-time call-ups. We start, though, with highlights from the week on by. Now, Sunday, the Rays opened up 2017 against the Yankees. Chris Archer went seven strong innings, and Evan Longoria had a big day at the plate. Kiermaier leads it first, the pitch, drilled down the left field line, toward the corner, it is gone, off the top of the wall, and over it for a two-run home run for Evan Longoria, and the Rays have added to their lead, it's now 5-2. Logan Morrison and Longoria had a homer and three RBIs apiece, the Rays held off a late Yankee rally to win the opener 7-3, it was the first opening day win under Kevin Cash. Monday, the Rays were off, then took back to the field Tuesday, again against the Yankees. This time, New York turned the table and used the long ball to do so. And the first pitch here is swung out and drilled. The left field and deep. Back and it goes Borges. He's at the wall, and it is gone. Ronald Torres, who, as I said, had only one home run all of last year, picks on the first pitch he sees from Jacob Arizzi. It's a two-run home run in New York. Takes a 2-0 lead here in the third. That homer keyed a three-run third. C.C. Sabathia and five relievers held Tampa Bay in check in winning 5-0 over the Rays. Wednesday, the Rays looked to take a series. Alex Cobb made his first start, and Cobb was very good, going five and two-thirds innings, and his battery mate gave the Rays the lead for good in the second inning. And the pitch on its way. Swing and a line drive on one. Hop by! Starlin Castro and into right center field for a base hit. Morrison will score. Here comes Malik Smith. He will score as well. And the Rays take a 3-1 lead. The Rays scored three in the second and won 4-1 to take two of three against the Yankees. Thursday, the Rays opened a four-game set against the Toronto Blue Jays. Blake Snell made the start and ran into some trouble in the third. And the 0-1 pitch on its way. Here's a swing and a drive to left field and deep. Malik Smith going back. And Kendrys Morales has just given Toronto a 4-0 lead with a grand slam here in the third. Blake Snell walked 5-2 ahead of that slam. In fact, three of the four or three of the five walks eventually came around to score. Steven Souza Jr. had three hits. The Rays fell short and lost 5-2. Friday, the Rays, though, bounced back. Tampa Bay scored five in the first to erase an early deficit, then lost a four-run lead, only to answer again in the sixth. Now the 2-1. There's a swing and a drive toward the gap in right center. Pilar on the run. He can't get it. It goes to the wall. Let's watch him run. Beckham will score. 
Here comes Dickerson. He will score. Stopping at third is Borges. It's a two-run double for Steven Souza Jr. And the Rays have regained the lead. It's 8-7. to seven. That hit put the Rays ahead to stay. Tampa Bay scored a season high in runs and won 10-8 over the Jays to move back over 500. And then yesterday, the Rays got a terrific start from Chris Archer as he worked seven and two-thirds innings, but Toronto's Aaron Sanchez was awful impressive too, and that led this game to go to extras, where the Rays came through with some help. Everybody standing around the lower deck. The stretch, the three-ball, two-strike pitch on the way to Miller. Outside, ball four, the Rays win. A walk to Brad Miller, and the strategy by John Gibbons backfires as the Rays get their first walk-off win of the year. It is truly the walk-off walk. Indeed it was, and with that win, the Rays now have a 4-2 record and a winning homestand, something that wasn't accomplished last year until August. Hey, looking to celebrate that upcoming special occasion or put together that next team-building event for work? Well, the Rays have a number of options for groups of 20 or more, from exclusive party areas to suites to general seating. Call 888-FAN-RAYS or visit RaysBaseball.com today. Raise up. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Coming up, my sit-down with Kevin Kiermeyer. What would make 2017 a success for KK? And what's the one thing he wants at his wedding reception? Find out after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solon's now joined by Kevin Kiermeyer and KK for you, such a, a busy last several months, the new contract, engaged, uh, a new home here in Tampa Bay. Tell me, is this as good a place as you've been in, not only professionally but personally too? Yeah, I, I got a lot going on off the field right now, a lot of good things. And, you know, we, we just won our first series on the field and body's feeling good so far. So I, I got no complaints right now. So I, life is good and uh, I'm very happy. You know, the, one of the things I think that has endeared you not only to fans but the media, too, is that you're pretty open and honest. I still remember one of our first interviews where you talked about how you wanted to help your parents who were very blue-collar be able to retire. Yeah. With the contract you signed, have you convinced them that it's retirement time, or, or are they close to doing that? Or Yeah, my dad, uh, he, he actually uh, is probably maybe close to two months of, of being retired and uh i just told him you know he had a couple knee surgeries past few years and you know as he goes back to work in a steel factory they have him doing 14 hour days six days a week and that's all i needed to hear i said you know what give your two-week notice like i I can't i can't deal with this anymore uh i don't know how he dealt with it for as long as he did but you know that's that's the steps him and my mom took our whole lives just putting food on table giving us everything we need. We didn't weren't spoiled by any by any means, but we had everything we ever needed as kids. And uh, I, I told him one of my goals playing baseball. I said I want to let you guys retire second halves of your lives. And uh, you know my mom's my mom's uh, job is uh, you know a little less taxing, being a, a, com- or a computer worker for a hospital, working with all the insurance companies. So she's still doing a little part time gig, but it's. You know, she never complains about it. But my dad, it was time for him to, to stay home and, you know, get a gym membership, work on his body and exercise and, and get a, on a more healthier track. Which is great to hear. You know, the, the thing I also like is we always seem to learn something about you. I saw the ESPN clip you did with Doug Glanville. I didn't realize your vision is that good that you can actually see the catcher signs from center field wherever you are. Yeah, you know, we get we get tested in uh, spring every year, and I got, I got 2012 vision. I can see... 
uh, quite a ways away. And, you know, with our pitchers, I kind of know what to expect. But in a certain counts, I'm wondering what they're, they're going to be throwing. And um, whatever, you know, whatever finger they put down, I can take that into play and, and kind of move to where I think that, that ball might be hit if, if it is put in play. So there's a lot of things that help me out there, and that, that's one of the few things. But, uh, you know, th- these green eyes, they're, <laughs> they're not just beautiful. They're also very powerful. 2012 vision, better in use defensively, running the bases to be able to pick up a sign from a catcher that way, or at the plate? Um, I'm going to say defensively because um, that, that's where that's when I'm in my true element out there. And offensively, I, you know, with, with the, as good as vision I have, I feel like I should have a lot better numbers. But, uh, you know, baseball is it's a hard game, man. Some guys make it look a lot easier than what it is, but um, – just try simplifying it any way you can. Like I said, I don't think I've scratched the surface with my potential yet. So hopefully I can put that on display this year. Okay, I wouldn't call 2012 Vision superpower, superhero type stuff, but if you had a superpower to add, what would you want to add? Super strength. <laughs> Everyone says flying, but I would love to just be able to like punch through a tree at any given time, stuff like that. That would be a lot of fun. I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm okay with my strength, but that would be, that'd be really fun to – to be able to to do whatever you want as far as that goes but yeah this weekend is uh, your bobblehead for the two-time gold glove winner now favorite giveaway item and is there a giveaway item out there that has not been created for you yet that you would love to be on you know what i'm happy with all the the marketing stuff they've done for me thus far i think my favorite thing is they they made a blanket of me last year of my catch in uh, baltimore a couple years ago and the blanket is the most comfortable thing ever, and uh, I love it. I mean, the bobbleheads, all that are cool. The one they did um, recently was spot, like the facial, everything was spot on. Facial hair, eyes, they, they, they nailed it. But, man, that, that blanket they made last year is the most comfortable thing ever, and that, that might be my favorite thing thus far. I know you're also doing a lot of endorsements. You're with Morgan Auto Group, which is one of the race partners. Is there a childhood item that you were big on that if if they came to you now or something that you've used for a long time that you're like, boy, if they came to me, that would be pretty cool because I probably should be, I'd I, I live them. Yeah, you, you know, I've, I mean, I, I've been very fortunate with uh, the people who have chosen to do um, partnerships, sponsorships, whatever you want to call them. But uh, a couple years ago, I asked, I, I just said something about how I love Skittles so much and they sent me a ton of stuff. <laughs> And that was one of the coolest things ever. That was, like, the first time that's happened. Um, you know, like, with that, you know, a couple things I've had throughout my few years, it, it's been awesome. But I'm trying to think, you know, what what would something, um, gosh, a company in particular that would make me so happy. You know what? Chocolate I, milk guy or something like that uh, as a kid? or Nothing, you know, it's nothing crazy. I'm trying to think of my favorite food place. Um Man, there, there's a lot of I don't want to step on anyone's feet that I'm already sponsors with. So you know, I'm I'm content with what I have going on right now. I really am. I'm very happy and and fortunate that people want to you know pay me to wear or use their products, and that that's really cool for me. I, you know, it's something <clears throat> you never imagine happening. But I, what I have going off for me off the field is very good right now. But I don't want to ever be in too much. I don't want to be in all the commercials or anything I, i'm very content with my life and i don't need to be in the spotlight or anything like that so 
Having a few perks here and there, though, it's pretty cool. I just figured if we could get you a Marshawn Lynch beast mode type. <laughs> <laughs> nah, hey, beast mode, beast mode can do his thing. I'll just, I'll sit here and keep trying to run down the balls in center field. You've got two gold gloves now. What, how do you want to continue to grow? And if I were to ask the question five years from now, where do you want to be? How do I want to grow? Well, as a player, you know, overall, I want to be more consistent throughout my whole game offensively, base running, you know, those two. Um, defensively, I think my numbers speak for themselves. So um, it's just one of those things where whatever I can do to, to maintain on um, the offensive side and base running, that, that's just where I can really show my pr- true potential. Um, and, you know, defensively, I, I love what it, I'm, I'm doing out there. And like I said, my only ways of improvement, I think, for me is uh, my decision-making. And that's uh, just the maturity level that you take out there. I'm, I'm, I'm very content with what I do with my arm strength, accuracy, the way I run down balls, my routes on everything. I, I'm happy with that. But you can always improve mentally. And, um, you know, that's what I like to do. Five years from now, um, man, I don't know. I never, I never really set goals or anything like that. But you know, if I, if you, if I could say in five years that I've had a, a pretty darn healthy previous five years, then I'd be a happy man because uh, you got to stay on the field first and foremost to make anything happen. And uh, you know, last year being uh, breaking my hand, that was one of the worst things that I've dealt with. Just watching these guys w- without me for two months. So if I, if I'm healthy, I'll be a happy man. So that I, that's a boring answer, but that that's a true answer. Did you learn much about yourself during those two months? Um, I wouldn't say I learned much about myself because I've, I've been hurt before. I broke a couple hands in the minor leagues, and it's not fun. But you, you try being a student of the game and, and watching things from the game or, um, you know, picking up things while you're playing, you kind of somehow get caught up in the game or talk to guys about certain at-bats. But there's a lot of times where I really watch pitchers and I watch what hitters do for other teams. And, um, you know, still, even though I'm hurt, I'm up there acting like, okay, what would I do in this situation if I was to uh, – be up to bat right now little things like that and what do pitchers do with their moves so i can steal bases little little things like that and like i said i love watching other guys from other teams and what they do with their swings and their approach at the plate and um you know if i like someone or what they're doing i'll try to incorporate that in my game as much as possible so those two months were a rough one i mean it was rough but at the same time i felt like i did i did learn a lot and uh, you always try to get something out of uh you know rough times like that okay Aside from your team, tell me a player you like watching. On a different team? Man, you know, we got we got a lot of guys in our division that, um, like I said, I hate when they do it to us, but, you know, it's hard not to respect what some guys do. Mookie Betts is the name that jumps out. Um, I mean, the dude just, he's absolutely amazing. Um, such a young guy and how much talent he has and a true 5 tool player. Watching, you know, Blue Jays are in here. Josh Donaldson has one of the prettiest swings I've ever seen. And like I said, I hate when these guys kill us. But at the same time, I mean, it, I know how hard it is to sit here and, you know, try to perfect a swing and certain things throughout the whole game. But when guys have a swing that is pretty as what those two guys are, it, it, you can't do anything besides tip your hat because I know it's hours and hours and hours of, of hard work and dedication. And I respect that couple of things i wanted to touch on first this week the new turf for you any noticeable difference at all 
It looks a lot better. That's that's the main thing, and I can tell that it's already going to be a lot better for our bodies uh, throughout the whole season. Um, right now, you still got to kind of have that transition period where we're going from grass for all off season for me, and then you come here. So you're not going to expect to to feel great right at the shoot here, but my body feels pretty darn good right now. And you know, you feel a little little tightness or soreness here and there, but you know that. As the season goes on, that, that really does. Um, your body gets used to it and goes away. So I, I love it, though. I'm so glad that, you know, the, the Rays put money into to try to better us and our bodies with a, a new new turf. And like I said, it looks so much better. And I know from years past when you watch our games on TV, it looks very blotchy and just didn't look great. So it was time to, to make an upgrade, and, and I'm glad I'm glad we did it. You know, I know you're. We talked at the top about how you're in a great position, uh, on field, off field. And I did want to ask one fun question because you are getting married. Most of the time, it's happy wife, happy life. Yes. So, if you have to pick one item that you want at the reception, food wise, is there anything that you're going to say? Hey, I want to have. It's the only thing I'll ask for. But let's have let's have this. Chicken nuggets or tater tots. <laughs> you know, we gotta sit here and have all this fancy beef and chicken, all yeah, or you know, whatever that may be, but. Hey, let, let's let's have a let's have something where, you know, a, a big buffet of where people can go and indulge rather than getting a little piece of meat that we're paying however much money for. So, I I like staying loose as much as possible. I don't need all the bells and whistles at my wedding. That's for her to to figure out. And trust me, I'm already in the thick of that, which is uh, wow, quite an experience. But I would like some I would like some tater tots or chicken nuggets at my wedding. I think one of the things that makes you special is the way you communicate on so many levels with so many people. In fact, you, and I've heard this from a lot of people, you make sure to speak Spanish with a lot of the Spanish-speaking teammates. So how about a little uh, Espanol Uno, uno here for uh, for a little Spanish 101. Give, como se dice, Kevin Kiermaier is a good teammate. Kevin Kiermaier es un buena persona. That's Para el equipo? Posible? That'll work for me. I mean, you, you know, you just got to stick with the basics. What I always tell people when I surprise other guys on other teams, I'll, I'll sit here and I'll say, Yo soy Kevin Kiermaier, yo juego para Liga Americana, no te preocupe por mí, yo juego duro para mi familia, mi equipo todos los días. That means, hi, I'm Kevin Kiermaier, I play for the American League, I play hard for my team and my family every day. And when I say that to other guys, they're like, okay. You know, they're, they're very surprised, <laughs> but it's something – I don't know. It's just something that that I say, and I think it gets a lot of laughs out of the other Latin players on different teams. And and guys, uh, they know next time they see me, they can they can talk a little bit of Espanol conmigo. Do you pick up a little uh, conversations too that helps you in the game too? No, none of that. It, they speak it way too fast, man. I, I can just talk the basics, but and maybe pick up a few words here and there. But you know, I'm I'm definitely a faker when it comes to to Spanish speaking and listening all that I, I can't do it well you're no faker with the way you play and certainly what you've meant to this organization continued success congratulations on the contract and everything else thank you neil appreciate it kevin kiermaier joining us and we continue right after this on the race baseball network welcome back to this week in race baseball neil solon's with you now each month this year on our program we're going to do a little round table joining me right now voices of the rays dave wilson andy freed and brian anderson of fox sports sun gentlemen thanks for joining me anytime but what the table's not round but we'll we'll round it off for you i guess <laughs> i'm moving back just a hair okay. sounds good so it's more of a triangular yeah knights of the square table okay yes. um let's start with the the fact that 
it's been a winning homestand. And after everything last year's team went through, I know it's just one week and one homestand, but since they didn't have a winning homestand until August of last year, how much do you think this means in the big picture? Well, I think it's very encouraging. I think no question when you have a year like the Rays did last year, very disappointing uh, season, disappointing finish. You go into the offseason, you try to, uh, you know, figure out what went wrong, what can you do better, and you come into the season with some question marks. And you've got a lot of injuries. What's the bullpen going to be like? Um, and by no means are you, you feel confident. Everybody feels optimistic opening day, but you're still wondering what's the identity of this team going to be like. And so far, I love what we've seen. You know, the starting pitching is going out doing the job. The bullpen has gone out, and, and they've gotten the job done when they've needed to for the most part, and the offense has shown the ability to be multidimensional, where last year they were so reliant upon the home run and struggled in other areas uh, you know, of their game offensively. So far, six games in, they've shown the ability to steal a bag, take an extra base, move a guy over, get him in, have not been that reliant upon the home run, and I think that's very encouraging going forward, especially when you're doing all this within the division. Yeah, we talked about that, just got done talking about it with Kevin Cash, that, you know, we had speed with Kevin Kiermeyer the last couple of years, but that was really about it. And now we brought in Malik Smith, and we've got a couple other guys. I mean, even Derek Norris is running a little bit. But I think the confidence right now that both Corey Dickerson and Steven Souza Jr. are playing with is incredible. Because I don't think, and I know Neil uh, Neil heard about it on the post game. Andy talked about it yesterday. I don't think Steven Souza Jr. gets a hit in that situation that he did last night a year ago. I just think he's a different beast right now. And Corey Dickerson is putting together much, much better at-bats than he did a year ago. He just looks a heck of a lot more comfortable at the plate than he did a season ago. We'll see what happens on the road, but I like the fact that this building has felt uncomfortable for the visiting team. The Yankees, they didn't look like they were all that comfortable during games one and three. The Blue Jays yesterday, I mean, some of the at-bats by Batista late in the game Mm. didn't look so good. Uh, Donaldson was out a couple of times late in the game, and who knows if the venue makes a difference or whether this turf makes some sort of difference with being fast. All I know is in the winning years, you know, 2008 on to 2013, the other team looked like they didn't want to be in this dome, that they would be much more comfortable in almost any other venue. I I like the fact that the Rays have some sort of home field advantage maybe set up through this week. And I love the chip on the shoulder of this team. I I think this is a team that really, again, you go back to the expectations of a year ago and you fall flat. You know, 68 wins on the season. You come in with a chip on your shoulder. Everybody starts to quit. Everybody's pegged them in last place. You know, you look at every magazine out there, the prognosticators, they don't even bring up the Rays. And I think that this team and the pride that they have and realizing they were not nearly as bad of a team as they showed a year ago uh, has a chip on their shoulder, and they have come out, you know, on fire in a division that does have some question marks. And they have certainly jumped right to the, you know, the the top of the class. I I guess maybe Baltimore is there right now, but you're certainly up there and serving no notice playing uh you know very good baseball but dave to what you said with dickerson and souza jr and isn't it interesting that both of them are being challenged out of that leadoff spot whether it's a lefty or a righty and both of them are responding it's pretty fun to watch and you start to get some you know some good quality streaks out of those two guys and this offense has a chance to really surprise I love the I, couple of couple of balls have rattled around the rings this week. I mean, Tulowitzki looked like he didn't know what to do. Teams don't want to come in here when yeah. the Rays are playing well. No doubt. You know, B.A., you touched on the guys in the leadoff spot, but to me the guy at the leadoff of the rotation has been different and the way the Rays have handled Chris Archer. I mean, it seems like you talk about chip on a shoulder. I mean, he's pitching very differently than he did at this time a year ago. No question about it, and I will say this, and we talked about it opening day. I think that pitching in the WBC helped him 
because if you're able to go into that event and come out of it, you know, healthy, ready to go, you have gotten ready sooner than everybody else. I mean, that game that he threw against Columbia, you know, you can say it's it's early mid-March and he only threw 41 pitches, but it's the intensity of the pitches. The intensity you, and the fact that yeah. he wasn't, you know, he, he doesn't try to be anybody different. Sometimes he tries to be David Price or tries to be a special version of Chris Archer. It looked like he just was Chris Archer, which I think that's a big key with Chris as well, just to be himself, not try to be, you know, the best pitcher in Major League Baseball at that particular And maybe time. the same for Colomay and for Diaz. I mean, Jumbo Diaz was in the WBC pitching a high leverage. Colomay looks like he's so calm out there on the mound, it doesn't matter the situation he's brought into. A four-out save, come back the next day, go after the heart of the order. Ho hum. Maybe this WBC is more of an advantage than we ever gave. A you know, VA. We, we mentioned it yesterday too. Too. I mean, people are comparing him to 15 after yesterday's start. But the biggest difference, and, and maybe I was again too simplifying it, but last year it seemed like everything with velocity for him was up. Everything with something off speed or his slider and changeup were down. And from a big league hitter standpoint, I mean that is so simple to pick up. I mean, so when we saw missed swings in the first two thirds of the season last year on pitches up, it was because he either missed with his changeup or he missed with his slider because hitters saw something with elevated and they weren't expecting it to be off speed. So yesterday, fastball down, pound on the bottom of the zone, pounding down and away. That set up his slider. It absolutely, absolutely right, Dave. And I'm going to tell you something. Last year, how many starts do you remember Chris Archer starting and he could not get the fastball down into the zone? Denied Missing high. Pitch. Yeah, the first three or four pitches of a game and just struggled in that first. That's where his first inning struggles came from. Could not command the fastball. Couldn't even get it into the zone. Well, he's coming out now. I thought in the Yankee game he pitched more than I've ever seen him pitch. I mean, a steady diet of off-speed to a lot of different hitters. You know, the changeup really came into focus. The slider, of course, was good, and he commanded the fastball. In last night's start, it looked like Chris Archer from a year ago when he was dominant, you know, that second half of the season, where he really led with the hard stuff. The velocity was up a couple of ticks uh, from his first start. The slider was very good. Not as many change-ups. But, you know, that's the way the Rays game plan. You've got three quality pitches. They're going to game plan for each team a little bit differently. More off speed against the Yankees, more hard stuff, but quality and commanded hard stuff in the game last night. It just shows you the ability to to adapt, and he's starting to become a pitcher and not just rear back and try to overpower you. At some point, um, you know, that's the step that you need to take if you want to get to the elite of the elite, and maybe this is the season for Chris Archer. Doesn't there isn't there something too to the story last night and and his first start too the way Kevin Cash handled him I mean Chris mentioned after the game that this helps him may help him mentally going forward the fact that they stuck with him against Gary Sanchez opening day the fact that they stuck with him first and third nobody out in the eighth and he almost got out of it you know and, and he was kind of fired up when he went into the dugout but then after the game once the the competitive juices had calmed down a little bit he said i think maybe i grew a little bit in the eighth inning yesterday too when the stuff isn't feeling quite as sharp maybe as it was the uh, location wasn't quite there trying to gut his way through it gave up one but no more than one at that point <clears throat> so it was a just a two to one game and you know ba you could speak to this too and dave you know the the evolution of pitchers they don't stop because they get to the major leagues you got to continue to learn as you're in there well there was a moment last year where he pitched what about five or six innings of uh, really good baseball and then he went out for that next inning and got beat up a little bit. And I think there was a couple players on the team wondering, well, why did you do that? We need to have him, you know, confident. Well, if he wants to be a top-of-the-rotation type pitcher, you're not leaving after five or six innings. You should be leaving after seven or eight a little more consistently. So I do applaud Kevin for saying, hey, big boy, if this is what you're saying you want to be, show me. 
Show me what you can do. I love it. That, that's all you want is that opportunity. And first and foremost, you want the guy to to want that opportunity, you know, to say, I want to be that guy. You know, I, I think the way that the game is managed now all around baseball, you know, there are a lot of starting pitchers that are perfectly happy going five and fly, you know, five and two thirds, put me in line for a win here. I'm not going to lose. Get, You know, it, it, it takes someone special, someone that wants to be an elite player in this game to say, I want more responsibility. I want to pitch deep. I, You know, Kurt Schilling, when I played with him, he used to say when he took the mound, I started to count backwards from 27. That's it. I want 27 outs. He wanted a CG every single time, and he said, "If I felt like you know, if I fell short of that, that was not the you know, that was an outing that I was not very happy with." But there was definitely a difference last night. A year ago, he is not out no. there in that situation, and when it started to get dicey, he was coming out of that game. But I think, like you said, Kevin Cash allowing him to grow up and saying. What's my best matchup? Archer with a little bit less stuff for the bullpen. Let's stick yeah. with Archer. And you're right, uh, you know, Andy, he almost did get out of that. We yeah. go back to we go back to when we put the pennants up in, you know, 08, 10, and 11, and even to 13 to a certain extent, that the, the rotation seemed to feed off one another. And I think, you know, like last year the rotation was pretty much all right. If you got to the sixth inning, that was pretty – that was good. That worked well. Then we used our bullpen way too much. This bullpen still has a lot of question marks. We've seen some good things so far, but hopefully – with Chris Archer setting the tone with seven innings, eight innings, getting into the eighth. Well, then the other guys hopefully will start doing it. And Jake Odorizzi, I think, is going to be making a pretty good start today because, again, if Jake wants to be a top half of the rotation kind of guy, and I know there's been some talk, where does he kind of fit? Is he more of a number three, a number four? He's number two right now with us. Jake's got to start giving us more than just five and two-thirds or six and a third. He's got to get into the seventh inning a little more consistent. And I hardly remember a stretch last year like we've seen through six games where the starters have been able to to hand it to the bullpen and much more of it, except for the 10-8 game and maybe even the well, even in the five nothing loss. I mean, Odorizzi did give the race some innings. I mean, this bullpen does need a little bit of you know its its own eggshells perhaps a little bit. I mean, City Daniel's not pitching well yet. Pruitt's not pitching well as a rookie pitcher. So these starters have to go deep. And in line with that, how about the fact that the Rays hitters? have gotten the opposing pitchers out early in, what, four of the six games so far. That's awfully impressive. Very impressive. You know, quick starts. It calms the starting pitcher down. It gives them some wiggle room. How many times have we seen a guy go out and you are constantly, it's zero for zero. You know if you give up a couple runs early, you were in big, big trouble, you know, as a starting pitcher. But that has not been the case, this offense. And and that's been the most encouraging thing to me to me is watching this offense. Dave, you mentioned, you know, Sousa Jr. Uh, you mentioned Corey Dickerson early you know Kevin Kiermeyer I think is going to continue to develop in that two hole Evan Longoria shows no signs of slowing down from a, a season ago and then you know the speed you know Kiermeyer at the top Malik Smith at the bottom of the order last night you saw what that w- was able to produce just different ways to be able to move runners much to be more able dynamic to, yes mm-hmm. much more dynamic mm-hmm. and when you're when you do that now you've given yourself two three four different ways to score runs and, you know, listen, they, they've, they've been getting the job done so far, and they've been getting the job done early. That helps everybody. There's no doubt on that. And, they've, and we've got a couple of minutes left in this segment. They, you know, only six of their runs have come on the home run so far. The other thing, you mentioned at the top, B.A., the chip. And, and I think Tommy Hunter and Ricky Weeks, I've heard it from many guys in that clubhouse, the influence they may have and having those veteran guys, the leadership, is really going to help this group going forward. I you, yeah. were, you were there in 08. You yes. were there before you got hurt. You were in that, that dugout and that clubhouse during the spring in 08 when we brought in guys like well, like yourself, but also like Eric Kinski. Uh, you know, we had Troy Percival, uh, Trevor Miller. Um, Dan Wheeler. Wheeler came over from the year before. I mean, Cliff Floyd was a, another big piece of that. I mean, 
it, it doesn't show up on the stat sheet sometimes. It doesn't show up uh, in the metrics. But it's a, it, you know, in a 162-game season, 180 days or whatever it turns out to be, over 220 days together, it can make a huge difference, can it? The guys that live in the clubhouse, the guys that oversee the clubhouse, that watch the day-to-day workings of a major league team will tell you how important it is. And in this day and age of all the analytics, it's hard to quantify that. You know, a lot of decisions are made because of, well, a lot of analytics, a lot of metrics. It's hard to quantify clubhouse presence, clubhouse leadership, that kind of veteran, you know, the, the things that they can give you, you know, a, as a player, you know, coming in, a player that has, you know, come through the system. It doesn't matter really how they get there, but what they offer down in that clubhouse. But the guys that are down in there day in and day out will tell you how important that is, uh, you know, just to set an example, to not put up with the nonsense and, you know, some of the stuff that goes on, you know, in a major league clubhouse to just kind of set the rules, police themselves, keep guys focused on going out and giving their best day in and day out because you play 162 of these things. You can't afford to give many away because at the end of the day, a lot of times if you're in the race, it comes down to a handful of games. They all matter. I think, too, when you get around veteran guys that probably have played more games already than they're going to play, you know, they've reached past the halfway point and if you get off to a good start they see this might be one of those rare opportunities to really win and how many opportunities do you really get to be on a championship team and look at a guy like tommy hunter that's been in postseason with the orioles and with the rangers but hasn't really been able to win the whole thing yet ricky weeks has been on some good teams like the brewers that made it to postseason haven't been able to get there so if this team continues to play well and win well you see what what the the benefit of a guy like weeks and hunter and guys that have been there before because they want to win before this career ends for them Great stuff from all of you. Have a great call today and a terrific road trip ahead. Thanks again for coming on. And, Neil, thanks Thanks for having us, Neil. We appreciate that. (laughs) We really do. We're rounding off the table now. (laughs) All right. That's VA, Dave, and Andy. Again, they'll be with us once a month. Right now, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. We'll see if next time we can get them a round table. Next time on or next up on this week in Rays Baseball, look at a week of first plus principal owner Stuart Sternberg right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. The big story this week from a human interest standpoint, two players making the opening day roster. Austin Pruitt and Daniel Robertson had challenging journeys to break in. In each case, family support played a major role. It's well documented. Daniel Robertson lost his dad, Don, nearly four years ago to cancer. And I spoke with Daniel's mom, Julie, before his debut about what a proud moment this was. Oh, it's just a dream. It's just a dream from a very little, tiny little boy that you just think okay maybe possibly you're not sure that it will ever come true and then you start thinking well maybe someday it'll come true and now it's not a matter of if but when but then you don't expect the when to be tomorrow when you got the call from daniel what went through your mind well the first thing that went through my mind is i couldn't hear him the the drop the call got dropped and i was like oh my gosh (laughs) he's calling to tell me something but i didn't know what and then when he um finally got through i kind of could tell by his voice but He's like, yeah, Mom, they called me in the office. He's trying to play it off a little bit. And he's, he said, you know, Cash, you wanted to know if you're going to be in town. And he says, can you stay a little while longer? And I'm like, yeah. It, just, it was just a flood of emotions, of relief, finally knowing one way or the other. Um, just so such excitement because this is something that his dad and I have helped him, you know, try to do everything we can to be there for him ever since he was little. And then just kind of pure disbelief like really am i hearing you right <laughs> so you know little tears a little screaming <laughs> a little you know and it, it's kind of you always want to say the right thing because it's still your kid but it was it was pretty cool 
How about when you see him announced for the first time on opening day and he takes the lines? Can you give us a feel as to what the emotions were like when you saw that? Oh, yeah. That was crazy. Um, It's surreal. I think when he actually gets in the box tonight, it'll really hit me. It still hasn't quite hit me. He's been in a lot of lineups, a lot of opening days for every, every, every level's been so exciting. You know, getting the call, um, getting, getting moved up, getting to start, you know, triple A last year. But this is beyond that, obviously, but it's still a new lineup with a new team and just getting to be part of this is exciting. It's exciting. You know how he's honored your husband, his dad. What has that meant to you, the way he's done that? Um, my husband was a really good dad, and he loved all four of his boys very, very, very much. And each one of them has their own way of, of um, remembering their dad and trying to live their lives the best way they can in order to honor him. And Daniel is able to do that with his career. That obviously meant a lot to my husband because it was something that he aspired to, like like a lot of a lot of young men. And um, but the way Daniel can be so mature and so um, forthright and honest about his faith, about um, how he misses his dad and what his dad uh, helped, how his dad helped to prepare him for this moment, shows a lot of maturity to me and my son. You said that they all honor him in different ways. How is Daniel like Don? The hard work, the hard work. He's really good at what he does. My husband was very good at what he did. Um, never, never taking second best. Just always working your best. And if you if you fail, getting up and trying again. You never give up. Um, one of our, you know, the believe you belong has always been part of their their mantra. And mine is, you know, play play with passion. So we, from both sides, we were helped instill that in Daniel. But Daniel, Daniel really has his dad's work ethic his love, and his love for the Lord. And the foundation that has been formed, what does that mean? Oh, it's huge. Um, it was a way to honor his dad and to kind of keep his memory going along. We were very fortunate in when my husband got diagnosed, our, our lifestyle didn't change. We were able to, he was able to take the time he needed to get the treatments he needed. And we became aware after my husband passed away that other people aren't so fortunate. And in his memory, we wanted to help other families that, that could, you know, need, need the help. And that's, that's the whole basis of the, the foundation and just to help people remember him and who he was. How close are the brothers and what does it mean to them to see this too? The boys are very, very close. Um, when I met my husband, we each had a son. So Danny has two half-brothers, and you wouldn't know that they weren't full brothers. They all kind of look alike. And then, then Danny has a younger brother that's a full brother. Um, his, his brothers are just beyond excited. They, you know, they, they've been to every Little League game. They went to Pee Wee. They're the ones taking the video for me when I was trying to do other things, take care of the baby. You know, Ben was there in a little baby carriage while his brother was playing. They're only a year apart. And then um, Daniel was two going to watch his big brothers play on the baseball field. So they just, they're all really, really close. Um, some of them live together on the off season. And uh, um, they're just his best friends. They're his best friends. They always have been. Even with the age difference, the older boys are five and eight years older. But you wouldn't know. And as excited as Julie Robertson was about Daniel making the majors, Daniel had that same level of appreciation when reflecting on this week. Well, obviously, you know, it means a lot um, just to be in this position that I'm in, uh, the opportunity. Um, 
means the world to me. It means the world to my family, my friends, uh, everyone back home. Um, just trying to make everyone proud and come out here and just do what I love and play baseball and just try to help this team win. What moments are going to stick out to you? Because I'm sure there are certain things that are going to be kind of ingrained in your mind. And if so, what are they? Uh, I mean, definitely that first at-bat is going to stay with me forever. I, I mean, I was about an inch away from having my first first big league base hit. Um, called me safe after the replay. Obviously, it showed that he just stayed on the bag. Um, so that, that's going to that's gonna stay with me for a long time. And then, obviously, um, the first hit or first homer, whatever the, whatever the case is, uh, those moments stick with you for, for a lifetime. And, um, you know, obviously – it didn't work out on my major league debut, but it's not the last time I'm going to go for four, as we all know. But uh, you know, just just this whole experience—it um, doesn't even feel like it's been two days. They all have just kind of blended together, and uh, it's just been awesome. Did you feel your legs? I mean, some people say you know pitchers say <laughs> they don't feel their legs sometimes at first outing. What was it like being at the plate? You know what? Um, you know, like Dickerson and a couple other guys told me their first at bats, they were in there in the box and their legs were shaking. And uh, I didn't feel I didn't feel like my I couldn't control my body. You know, I felt everything um, when I was running down the line after my first first at bat. I honestly was just running, just trying to get to the bag. I didn't really feel much, um, but even before the game, like getting loose and stretching, I I, don't, I think I could have just showed up and played. I was. I was just amped up and ready to go. My body felt great. Um, obviously, a bunch of adrenaline and emotion was running through me. But, uh, yeah, no, not not really any nervousness or, or jitterness or shaking of the legs. Just try to get in there, try to get comfortable in the box and go compete. And as much as we know your family means to you, were you able to pick them out while you were playing? Were you aware of anything regarding them during the course of the game? Uh, yeah, I, I knew where they were sitting just because I know where the family section is and um, – you know, opening night when I was uh, here and not in the lineup, I kind of scoped them out, and then I knew uh, where they were sitting to, for my debut. So my first time going out on deck, I kind of looked up and, and saw their faces up there and just uh, saw, you know, saw their their faces light up, and, and it was awesome. It was indeed for Daniel Robertson and Austin Pruitt, who was somewhat of a surprise to be here on opening day. And days after his debut, he was still beaming, when discussing the memories, yeah, it was it was, it was pretty special. Yeah, it was definitely something that I'm not going to forget. Uh, um, you know, it made it even more special. Yeah, family coming down. Um, it was just it, it's been an incredible experience. Which family came or were able to come, and what did it mean to have them? Um, I had uh, my brother and his family, uh, my mom, my dad, my cousin, and my fiance. Um, and yeah, it was it was just incredible for them to, to come down and experience this with me. It made it a little more special. Walk us through some of the experiences that are going to stick out. Standing on the line for opening day, the first appearance, the first out you got uh, in the second game of the season. Um, well, opening day, man, opening day is a big deal. It was it was cool being uh, with my teammates down down the line, um, and being able to tip my cap to everybody. It was cool for it was just cool for you know everyone to be cheering for for everybody. Um, and yeah. And the first appearance or two, how much different did they feel than a normal one? I, I know the goal is to make it feel normal, but how difficult was that? Um, yeah, baseball, it, it, it should always feel normal. But, uh, but yeah, no, the first one, definitely the first one, I was, I was just trying to make it a point just to kind of slow everything down and, and to breathe. 
but it's still, yeah, it's still jitters was kind of, we're definitely kind of there a little bit. Um, but yeah, yesterday's outing, I felt, I, I felt a lot better. Um, but no, it, it is, it's getting, it's getting good. And you're adjusting to a new role too, because I can't imagine that you probably have relieved on a regular basis in quite a while. Um, yeah, this is actually my first time in the reliever role. Uh, it's definitely a little bit different. Um, role's a little bit different, but uh, but no, it being here and, and getting out there to, and throwing is it, it it's getting yeah it's it's a little more normal. Feels good. Are you going to start now picking guys' brains too of the veteran people just to get more of a okay? What's my routine now? What do I do on a regular basis to make sure I'm ready as I can be? Right. Yeah. No. I absolutely. I I would go with uh, Tommy Hunter, Farquhar, and Erasmo got with those guys and, and kind of talk to them and see what their routine was in, uh, in getting warmed up for a game. Um, I know it's a long season and, and you can kind of tend to overthrow while getting, you know warming up before you get into a game. So I'm trying to get into a routine where I don't throw too much and just kind of get ready to, to go into the game. And hopefully more games and experiences ahead that will be memorable for Austin Pruitt, Daniel Robertson, and their families. Now our first full show of 2017 wouldn't be complete without our annual chat with Rays principal owner Stuart Sternberg. I first asked Sternberg what he thought of the Rays offseason. Overall, I thought we had a very good offseason. We've committed to a position where we haven't had a lot of strength uh, since uh, Navi was an all-star. Uh, when Molina was in here, we, you know, he brought some other attributes, which we recognize and were very good. But having a catcher come in here who is really one of the better catchers in the game, who's going to land you know, some part early in the summer, uh, is, is very good. Uh, beneficial uh adding rasmus in the outfield was excellent unfortunately trading logan forsyth was you know one of our favorites here really has been for years but to get a uh, a pitcher of the caliber that we we felt we did is uh is very important and we were interested to see miller over at second base so all in all we accomplished a lot in the offseason probably would have uh you know liked to short up the bullpen a little bit more but we've got a lot of arms who are ready to go and uh, we'll see what Ricky Weeks could bring to the table. I think a lot of people believe he can help from a leadership standpoint as well. You know, you mentioned Wilson Ramos behind the plate. How much are you into the belief that being strong up the middle is important? Obviously, you locked up a guy who has certainly helped the race up the middle in Kevin Kiermeyer long term. It very. I mean, in baseball, it is no question. It's how strong and what does it really bring. We, we put a big emphasis on defense. Uh, what Kevin in particular does in the outfield and what it allows us to do with the corner outfielders uh, and in other places, you know, the way he's just that good um, that it, it allows us to do some other things. And, look, more balls get hit up the middle, and if you want to turn uh, singles into outs, then it's important, or, or doubles into singles. Um, some of it does get a bit mitigated, I will say, because of the shifting now that's happening, that if uh, it's more important, you, you, or I should say you can – uh, cover up a little bit for a strength of a guy if you have him in the right position to catch the ball. So the range, while it's always important, the positioning is even more so. You know, you sit on one of uh, Rob Manfred's key you know, owners' committees, so I'm curious because there is so much talk about shifting and the way the game's played and how to change it. Are there things you would like to see that haven't been done or things that have been done that you wish were repealed, so to speak? <laughs> we, do we, we only have an hour or two to speak. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about on-field then. We'll, you know, leave it, leave it to that. Uh, there's been a big call, actually, to try to do away with the shifting. I think it's a, it's a fine part of the game because I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to develop 
uh, on the hitter standpoint, that's going to you know account you know try to do away with the, the shift to hit through the shift, hit the ball the other way. I'm a big fan of smaller ball and to see ball guys go the other way with the ball a little bit and keep the defenses honest. So it's up to the hitters really just to keep the defenses honest, and that'll take care of the shifting. Uh, I like to see more bunting and things, but just talking about the on field, what I would like to see. Um, is not necessarily quicker games. Uh, the three hours part doesn't phase me so much, whether it's 2.30 or you know, three hours or so. Uh, it's really about what's going on on the field. I'd like to see more balls in play, so fewer strikeouts, fewer walks. And I think a way to accomplish that is maybe to toy with the ball a little bit so it doesn't just fly out over the fence every time it gets hit in the air. And also that, uh, so that you know, maybe you change the seams on the ball or soften up the core a little bit. Uh, with true power hitters hit the ball out, and you go back to a point where you know twenty, thirty homers is a lot of homers, and um, maybe force the pitchers to uh, to throw more strikes and throw the ball over the plate, and the hitters to put the ball in play. You know, money can change a lot of things too. And you look at the way that power hitters, guys who were just power hitters, were valued this off season. You know, guys, look, Ryan Howard could not find a job. You know, Chris Carter had a tough time finding a job. The fact that power was let's say valued a little less because there's so much around the game do you think that maybe leads hitters to want to play that all-round game more and that changes things over time the players are what they are i don't know if you can take a power hitter and or very few of them and turn them into you know double singles you know more contact but you know there'll they'll be a move towards that my own sense you know my guess of what's happened here uh is that you did have a uh you know just a few too many necessarily power hitters uh, and given the, the uh, you know, really what we put the, the urge on defense kind of big, and other teams have done that recently, people didn't want to go defensively weak at a position. We historically in left field or first base, you know, certainly you would have, uh, and put that player there. So, you know, they, these, these power hitters got penalized. It's not that we, we still like to see them hit. I don't mind the strikeouts. We don't mind, uh, you know, the 220 batting average as much. Uh, we're not in love with it, don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know, a guy who can hit 280 and hit homers like that, are, you know, are, are out of our price range. So, uh, but if you have a guy, you know, let's say the fellows you were talking about, you know, Carter and Howard, if they fielded their position really well and moved really well in those positions, they wouldn't have, they'd still be in high demand. And, you know, I, I'm curious on that. And, you know, you've seen the game change an awful lot. And I know you're an old school baseball guy. You're excited about, I know, the one doubleheader the Rays are going to have this year. Are there some other things you'd like to see bring back? that were part of the game that you'd like to see return? Well, the other I'd, I'd like to, and uh, I mean, it's a small thing. We used to have Banner Day. Uh, I'd like to see Banner Day come back, and we're working towards that. So, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have that, one, that done as well. Um, yeah, I, I think the game needs to progress and go forward. Um, it's very important, but, you know, keep a nod to the past. Um, you know, I, I like the uniforms a bit more, uh, you know, traditional, but certainly the throwback kind of thing or futuristic uniforms for a game or two here or there are great. We also look to the future, and I know obviously a big part is the stadium situation. What can you tell our fans as to where things are right now? Uh, nobody wants us to go quicker than we do because the sooner we get it done, the sooner we can you know start the next phase of, of uh, you know of, of the of raise baseball and you know jump up the revenues and have a greater most importantly have a greater space for our fans to get to and to enjoy. Um, it's moving along. You know, we take a step forward, two steps back, a few steps forward, one step back. But all in all, we are making progress weekly and monthly, um, albeit not as quickly. But we've been at it for basically a year at this point. And, um, I, you know, I would expect that uh, certainly before the end of this year, if not the end of this season, we'll have something uh, concrete to come out with. And it sounds like you feel optimistic about that, at least that part of the process? Yes, I'm incredibly optimistic about it. Nobody's higher on, on the, the region 
on the Tampa Bay region than I am. Um, and uh, I think I've convinced you know many in Major League Baseball at this point who've got serious doubts about the area that we can make a go of it. So if we can get the right new facility in the right spot and have projections that look at least to put us somewhere in the at least in the middle of the pack somewhere, then I think we'll be a go. For you, has this been as much fun? Um, I mean, you've done this now for more than a decade. Are you still enjoying this part of your life as an owner in baseball as you did when you started this? Very much so, but I think enjoying it a different way. The uh, the challenge coming in the first few years was, uh, you know, we're never going to get that opportunity again. It was, you know, reinventing an entire organization, uh, you know, putting guys in positions where they hadn't been before, you know, nurturing and, uh, and mentoring some young guys and all of us learning the game of baseball and what it means uh, to provide for fans, uh, but also to, to try out a lot of the, the incubator kind of things that we had in our minds and to see them become a part of the game has been tremendous. That gets harder and harder to do as you move along. So where we are right now is we go forward trying to, the excitement is trying to adapt to the new game, so to speak, um, and also to try to get a, a new facility that's going to ensure we're going to be here for generations to come. Is it hard to find something new? And can you find something new that you think that can stay ahead of everyone else? It, it is hard. It's, it's certainly gotten harder. Um, however, in you know, frankness, the things that we do find uh, you know, get copied much quicker right now. So I'm sort of in the mind with our guys is that let other guys do the R&D at this point and let's copy them in a hurry. Well said. Um, I know how important your family is to you. You've kind of grown, and they've grown as this whole you've moved on with this franchise. What has it been like? You're going to be an empty nester soon, huh? That's the word on the street, huh? Uh, no, I'm still the same age as when we started. Everybody else around me has gotten a little older. Uh, the line I have been using uh, around the house, and to those few who might have asked, it's kind of you to ask, is that um, I know it's coming and I know it's happening. Uh, I'm not in denial, but I'm just not thinking about it. So I'll choose not to think about it right now. Well, in the meanwhile, enjoy the baseball, and we appreciate a few minutes. Thank you. Thanks for the great job you do. That is Ray's principal owner, Stuart Sternberg. We thank him and all our guests on the show today. Kevin Kiermeyer, Brian Anderson, Dave Wills, Andy Freed, Austin Pruitt, Daniel Robertson, and his mom, Julie, as well as Cameron Billis and Jason Berenger for helping produce today's program. Coming up, it's the Ray's pregame show. This is the Ray's Baseball Network. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 